Hello everyone, my name is Haley Elizabeth and if you don't know who I am, this is my true crime podcast where once a week I sit down and I talk about all things true crime, ranging from murders, disappearances, cults, all the way to the biggest drug bust in history, the biggest bank heist in history, all things true crime. So if you're interested in any of that, you can subscribe to the YouTube channel for the visual version every Wednesday or you could head over to Spotify, Apple, wherever you can find podcasts every Tuesday for the audio version. Now for today's case, we are going to be talking about the case of Jamie. Kloss. Now there is a lot to get through, so we're just going to hop right into it. Jake Patterson was born on June 17, 1997, in Douglas County, Wisconsin, to his dad, Patrick, his mom, Deborah, and his two older siblings, Eric and Katie. Jake grew up in a quiet and more remote area where the population was only 800, and he grew up surrounded by forest. And for the most part, Jake had a pretty normal childhood. He had friends, he played outside often he did well in school and although he would get into occasional trouble with his friends it wasn't anything concerning and as far as Jake's family Jake's family was very loving and attentive that was until 2007 when Jake was 10 years old his parents got a divorce and this is when Jake's life had basically turned upside down everything was changing his parents sold the family home and his mom and dad got separate houses his mom ended up living in a very suburban neighborhood while his dad got this remote cabin in the middle of the woods. And his mom and his dad actually had joint custody, so he lived with his mom during the week and his dad on the weekends. And this, as a very young kid, stressed him out a lot. A lot of kids who have to experience the divorce of their parents at a very young age, it sort of does traumatize the child for the rest of their life. And because of this, it really created a very strained relationship between Jake and his mother and they didn't really get along very well and on top of that as Jake grew up he grew up to have a very short temper. In 2011 at the age of 14 when Jake was entering high school he was described as quiet and reserved. He was very nerdy and geeky but he didn't get involved in things at school. He did have a close clique of friends but for the most part he was on his own and although he was very reserved as I said Jake was known in the school for his temper. Jake would blow up at the smallest of things like for example a kid accidentally kicked a ball at Jake in gym class and when this happened Jake threw a fit and he threw the ball back at the person but in their face. In his junior year or third year of high school he actually did have a girlfriend named Brianna and him and Brianna were dating for about four months before she broke it off and she said that she was left traumatized afterwards. Her and Jake would often go to his dad's cabin because it was in the middle of nowhere and his dad was barely home. And Jake had a temper when he was out and about with strangers. And so his temper when it came to Brianna was even worse and he was constantly yelling at her. And not only was Jake very verbally abusive to Brianna, Brianna actually said that Jake used to quote unquote experiment with animals. And basically what she meant by that was Jake when he was in like high school 1415 he would collect dead animals and or roadkill and quote-unquote experiment on them such as cutting them open looking at the insides taking them out stuffing them and he would even hang the heads of the animals that he would catch up in his bedroom brianna would also go on to say that jake was a pathological liar and would lie about everything he would lie about big things small things and even things that didn't really matter so finally 
finally, after four months, she said enough is enough and she broke it off with him. And Jake did not take this breakup well whatsoever to the point where he actually drove over to Brianna's house and slashed all of her tires. She didn't do him wrong. She didn't cheat on him. She didn't do anything bad to him. He was just a very dangerous and toxic person. As I said, they were only dating for four months, so it wasn't even super serious of a relationship. And then in the year of 2015, at the age of 18, he graduated high school. He skipped his prom. He skipped his senior pictures and he literally cut everyone off from high school, even his close clique of friends that I was talking about earlier. And so this close group of friends grew concerned about Jake and his behavior because they used to be best friends in high school and now Jake was just cutting everyone off. And he wouldn't even give his new number and email to his close group of friends. After high school, it just seemed like Jake completely vanished and dropped everyone he knew and began to isolate himself. And then at 18, since he doesn't have the requirement to stay with his mom anymore, he decides to move in with his dad at the woods in the cabin full time. At this time, his dad wasn't living there because he actually got another house and he used the cabin as a vacation-y spot. So the only people that lived there was Jake and his older brother, Eric. Eric was four years older, so he was 22 at the time, but he was not the best role model for Jake. Eric actually had a long criminal record for multiple charges slash convictions, including sexual assault. And he actually just got out of prison to which he was in there for eight months after being caught making drugs. After Jake graduated high school, he ended up joining the Marines. But one thing about Jake is he was extremely lazy. Jake wanted everything done for him and he didn't want to work for any of the things that he wanted. He basically just wanted to take the easy way out on everything. And if you guys know anything about the Marines, the Marines is a place where you cannot slack off. You cannot be lazy. And there's actually a 13-week training program that you have to complete. And if you pass, then you are entered into the Marines. And so this is what Jake had to go through, but he was actually let go on week five because of his quote, character issues, to which I'm assuming they mean his anger issues. And even after the Marines, he still continued to have no motivation to do anything and could not commit to any job. He wouldn't stay with them for longer than a week. There were even multiple jobs where he would go in for his first day and then quit by the end of the day. He got a job at a turkey processing plant and then quit the same day. He got a job at a wood pellet factory and he quit the same day. And this cycle would go on for three years. So he would spend most of his time lounging around his dad's cabin. And it wasn't until later on that year when Jake's older brother, Eric, actually moved out of the house. And so now he had the whole place to himself. Jake at first really, really enjoyed all of this alone time. He was like, perfect, great, leave me alone. He completely cut off connection with everyone and completely isolated himself in this cabin he barely even left it and at first he was really really enjoying all of this alone time before eventually he got a little lonely and so he started to fantasize what it would be like to have a girlfriend but Jake didn't have much luck with girls and so that is when he decided to make the plan that if a girl wouldn't date him then he would just have to kidnap one instead and in October of 2018 at 21 years old Jake got a job 
job at a place called Saputo, which was a cheese factory and was about 16 minutes away from Barron, Wisconsin. Now, he ended up quitting this job after two days, but on one of those two days, he was driving to work on US Highway 8 until he pulls up behind a school bus that parks in front of a house. And out of this house comes 13-year-old Jamie Kloss, who is getting on the bus to head off to school. Jake not only saw Jamie get on the bus, but when Jamie got on the bus, since Jake was right behind her, he could see straight into the bus and see Jamie. He saw Jamie interacting with her friends, she was smiling, she was laughing, she was playing with her hair, and that is when Jack became absolutely fixated on Jamie. And in that moment, he thought to himself, this is the girl that I'm going to take. He constructed a plan on how to take her and Jamie didn't even know it, but in that moment, her life would change forever. Jamie Kloss was born in July of 2005 in Barron, Wisconsin to her mom, Denise, her dad, James, and she was an only child. At the time, she was 13 years old, an eighth grade student in Riverview Middle School and had a very close group of friends. She was described as outgoing, charismatic, and she was sort of the funny girl that everyone wanted to be around. She loved being active, like dancing, playing volleyball, ice skating, and spending time with her dog, Molly. Both of her parents worked at a turkey processing plant, and ironically, it's the same place that Jake worked at for a day, but it was suspected that since Jake was only there for a day, he could have never crossed their paths. I mean, they could have seen each other, but I don't know. Denise loved gardening, and James was a huge Green Bay Packers fan. Denise and James were described as a very happy couple who absolutely loved their daughter Jamie and loved helping others. It was known that James would often go on about his high school football glory days. Denise was a member of the local church and helped out frequently in the community as much as they could. The Kloss family was very close and spent a lot of time together considering Jamie was their only child. It was like their baby so they did everything together and Jamie had a life that a lot of kids dream of. That was until on one fall morning in October of 2018 when Jamie walked out of her house to get on the school bus like she did every morning but what she didn't know was behind her bus was the man that would change her life forever. Jake from that point on started to become obsessed with Jamie. Now I just want to reiterate Jamie is 13 years old. She's literally in middle school. Jake ended up finding a bunch of things about Jamie through social media and through online. He found out that she was an eighth grader at Riverview Middle School. She was an only child to Denise and James Claus. The family was middle class and he even knew more personal things about Jamie, such as the names of all of her best friends, the music that she liked. He became absolutely obsessed with Jamie and felt as if he was falling in love with her the moment he saw her. Jake knew that since Jamie was an only child, it was going to be very hard to kidnap her and so that is when he planned to take Jamie from her home in the middle of the night when everyone was sleeping. Jake had planned every detail of the abduction. He knew Jamie would probably put up a fight when getting abducted so he went out and bought a 12 gauge Mossberg gun and this was actually out of his dad's collection. He said he chose the gun because it would cause the most damage and it was also a very common 
gun, so it was difficult to trace if the police found the shell casings. And Jake was absolutely going above and beyond not to get caught. Jake didn't want to get his DNA on anything, and so what he did is that he put on gloves and he basically took every single shell casing out of the gun and wiped it down clean with gloves on to make sure that there was no fingerprints found on the shell casings. He wiped down all of his materials with bleach. He only wore gloves when he was handling everything. He even shaved off all of his hair all over his body because he didn't want to risk the chance of getting a single hair on anything. He even started to prepare his car. He stole plates off of another car and switched it so even if his car was caught or seen on a close camera, it would be the wrong car. He removed the interior lights so every time he opened up his car doors, you couldn't see anything. And there was even a safety feature in his trunk where it was basically basically like a cord where if you are in a situation where you're locked inside of a trunk, you can pull this cord and the trunk will pop open and you can escape. But Jake actually went in and cut that cord so Jamie would be unable to. He also went out to the store and bought a black mask, black balaclava, and black gloves. He only wore black clothes so that he would be easier to blend in with the dark. And then one week later, after spending every second of every day running through the plan and getting every detail correct, he decided to execute on the plan. October 11th of 2018, in the middle of the night, Jake puts on his gear, grabs his gun, reshaves, and gets in his car with his gun. He drives on US Highway 8 going to Jamie's house, and when he pulls into the driveway, there's actually a car already in the driveway and with their lights on. This absolutely scares Jake because he wasn't expecting to see that. That wasn't a part of his plan. And so he pretends as if he's pulling into the driveway and pulling out like he missed his turn or something. And he immediately just drove off. Two days later on October 13th, that's when Jake returns. And when he does return, he realizes that there's actually a light on in the downstairs basement. And seeing this light on freaks him out. And so he he gets in his car and he drives off again. October 15th of 2018, that is when Jake returns to the house once again and for the final time. He comes in the middle of the night when the whole family is sleeping and the whole ride there, he was rehearsing a plan. He knew that if he were to be confronted with the parents, the parents would obviously plead him not to take Jamie. So he had a plan that if that were to happen, he would point the gun to Jamie's head and point the gun to his head and say that if they try to step any closer, he would shoot Jamie and then himself. And I just thought that part was so eerie because Jake barely knew Jamie. He literally laid his eyes on Jamie for the first time a week prior. And now here he is saying that he would literally take his own life for Jamie. Jake drives up to the house and when he gets out, the family actually had a 
dog named Molly and so Molly senses that someone's coming up to the door and she starts barking extremely loud and the barking of Molly actually wakes up Jamie. So Jamie wakes up and she looks outside the window and that is when she sees a strange man dressed in all black and a mask walking up to the house. Jamie freaks out and so she runs to her parents room to tell them and James, Jamie's father, tells Denise and Jamie to hide somewhere while he went downstairs and checked it out. The dad went downstairs and through the front door windows he saw a man all dressed in black approaching the house and James thought that maybe it was a police officer so he starts to scream out show me your badge show me your badge but Jake slowly goes to the front door pulls out his gun and yells quote get down on the ground. James is obviously in so much shock so he just stands there and Jake points the gun at James and fires. Unfortunately, James died immediately. Jamie and her mom heard the gunshot and got scared, so they ran into the bathroom, barricaded themselves in with as much as they could, took the shower curtain, and wrapped themselves inside of it. Jake, at this point, is rummaging through the entire house, going through all the rooms, searching for Jamie, and finally, he reaches the parents' bedroom to find that the bathroom door is locked. He tried to kick down the door, but was unsuccessful at first, and at this point is when Denise realized that she had her phone on her, so she starts to dial the police. But just as the dispatcher answered the phone, that is when Jake, unfortunately, had broke the door down, and the 911 call call to this is absolutely terrifying. All you can hear is just rummaging and just genuinely painful screaming. The call only lasted a few seconds until it was later disconnected and Jake rammed himself in the bathroom. He ripped off the shower curtain and tried to take Jamie while pointing the gun at Denise. But Denise literally throws her entire self over Jamie and into a bear hug trying to protect Jamie as much as she could. At this point, Jake takes out a roll of duct tape and instructs Denise to tape Jamie's mouth shut or he will shoot Jamie, but Denise couldn't do it because she was shaking too much and as you know, Jake has a temper, so he got frustrated, grabbed the tape, and taped up Jamie's mouth himself. He also bounded Jamie's wrists and legs and dragged her out of the tub. He then pointed the gun at Denise before looking away and shooting Denise. And same with James, Denise in that moment died instantly. Jake actually said after the fact that the reason why he couldn't look at Denise while he was shooting her was because Denise had covered Jamie with her body and had her in a bear hug as if to take the bullet for her. Jake was taken back by this and knew that Denise really, really loved Jamie if she was willing to die for her and so he felt bad. After shooting Denise, that is when Jake grabbed Jamie and dragged her through the house while slipping on all of the blood that was in the house and dragged Jamie through the front door where her father's dead body had lied. They got outside, he put her in the trunk, and all of that, the murders, the breaking in, the dog barking, everything happened all within five 
minutes. Jake gets in the car, takes off his mask, and drives. As he's driving down the street, that is when he sees two police cars approaching him, but from the other end, and Jake kind of thought that maybe the police were there for him, and so he pulls off to the side of the road, but when he does, the police cars just drive right past him because they were responding to the police call that Denise had made in the bathtub. Once the police are gone and they drove off, Jake now realizes that he's in the clear and so he then drives two hours to his father's cabin. Jamie actually said that she heard the police sirens from inside of the trunk and she had hope for a little while until she heard them slowly go away. She said that the entire entire two-hour drive, she just sat there in complete shock and cried. And while Jake is driving, the police are back at the home, and that is when they discover the dead bodies of the parents and realize that the 13-year-old was gone. When Jake and Jamie get to the cabin, Jake drags Jamie to the front door. She's dragged into the cabin, and this place looks like a horror movie. There is trash everywhere. The place is cluttered. There's a lot of stuff all over the place it had no ceilings. All you saw was the wooden panels in the ceiling. There's food molding all over the place and there was nowhere to walk. Jake at this point took Jamie to his room and instructed her to put on her pajamas that he got for her and watched her while she changed. He then took Jamie's clothes and burned them. He told Jamie this is where she would be living for the rest of her life. Jamie was later taken to the living room where Jake had placed his shotgun and laid it right next to him and he began over the quote-unquote house rules. If she ever tried to run, if she ever screamed, if she ever tried to contact someone on the outside, and if she ever tried to disagree with him, she would die. And he said that if the police ever bust through the door and if people ever came looking for her, that they wouldn't take them alive. In Jake's room, he had a twin-sized bed that was up against the wall and told Jamie that she could sleep underneath the bed. Underneath the bed, it was very, very small. It was a twin-sized bed and the only thing underneath there was a pillow and a blanket. And every night before they went to sleep, he would block off the opening with bins filled with weights so Jamie couldn't leave. Jamie lay trapped underneath the bed, claustrophobic, and can barely breathe and that's where she would stay for the next 88 days. Back in the town when the police had discovered the gory scene of the Kloss household, they began a huge search for Jamie. The FBI was called in and they started looking for clues such as DNA, suspects, security footage. They released missing persons posters and Amber Alerts. They couldn't figure out who had done this. Usually in this sort of crime, it would be done by someone who knew the family, but this, it was a complete stranger. So it was a lot harder to trace the person down. Police were able to find the plates off of the car, but as I said, uh, Jake had switched the plates, so that lead kind of went cold. Jamie's face was posted on CBS, WGN, tons of different news outlets, social medias like Facebook, Twitter, etc., trying to find Jamie. Two days after the murder and after she went missing, a hundred people showed up to the town in search for Jamie or Jamie's body. 
After Jamie's story had attention of the news and social media, a week later, over 2,000 people, which is two-thirds the population of Barron, Wisconsin, came out and aided in the help in search for Jamie. Jamie's aunt appeared on TV with Jamie's dog, Molly, who was left unharmed and said, quote, Jamie, we need you here with us to fill the hole that we have in our hearts. We all love you to the moon and back and we will never give up looking for you. Your dog Molly is waiting for you and sleeping in your sweatshirts. On October 24th of 2018, the FBI had put out a $25,000 reward for anyone with any info that led to an arrest, but the turkey processing plant that both of the parents had worked at matched that reward, so it became a $50,000 reward. Two weeks had passed and people were still looking for leads for Jamie but couldn't find anything, while Jake basically just rubbed his hands together and praised his ego, thinking that he got away with this and that they were finding no evidence. Jake had created this prison for Jamie underneath his bed, but Jamie was only underneath there when it was time for bed or when Jake was out of the house. When Jake was home, however, he would let Jamie freely walk around the house because the reason why he abducted her was to make her into his friend slash girlfriend. The first week that Jamie was there, she refused everything. She didn't eat any of the food that he gave her. She didn't talk to him. She didn't even look at him. But after the first two weeks of her captivity, Jake started to get violent with Jamie and forced her to interact. At that point, Jamie started to comply. They talked, they watched movies, they played board games, they hung out with each other. And Jake is, you know, over the moon. He's joyful because Jamie, in his mind, is coming around to the idea. He loves having a friend and hopefully a girlfriend in the future. He's thinking that this is perfect, that Jamie has finally come around to the idea of enjoying his company and that she would forget all about everything that happened and they would finally date and live happily ever after. But in reality, Jamie was not interested at all in being Jake's friend. She was just playing Jake's game with him. If she made it seem like she was interested in Jake, then she would be able to catch him in a moment of weakness and possibly escape. After week two, Jamie no longer slept underneath the bed and now she was sleeping in the same bed as him, which again is a twin-sized bed. She was only kept under the bed when he went out and although they slept next to each other, there was never anything sexual that went on, although Jake said that one time he felt the strong urge to, but he just felt too guilty because she wasn't his girlfriend yet and he didn't want to ruin their, quote, friendship. Now, Jake was not nice to Jamie whatsoever, but there were times where Jake would do nice gestures for Jamie. Like, sometimes when he would be out all day and he would come home, he would buy Starbucks for Jamie and bring her back, like, a drink and a treat. He would cook for Jamie sometimes. He would give her clothes. But in his mind, he wasn't being nice just to be nice. He was being nice to Jamie because he hoped that Jamie 
Jamie would get Stockholm Syndrome and completely forgive and forget that Jake had murdered her parents and abducted her. But although Jake had his nice-ish moments, he had his violent outburst moments as well. Because of his short temper, he would be constantly screaming and yelling at Jamie. There was one time in particular where Jake had got so mad at Jamie that he had hit her in the back so hard with a curtain rod that she nearly fell over. Other times, he would shout at her and leave Jamie crying and huddled in the corner. Jake wasn't nice to Jamie at all, and although he gave her things, it was all fake niceness in hopes of Jamie liking him. Every day when he left for the day, she would go underneath the bed, and she did not know when she was getting let out. There were times where she was under there for 12 hours. No bathroom, no water, no food, not even any light, just simply her herself and her thoughts. And then at the end of the day, when Jake would come home after being outside all day, he would let Jamie free and the two of them would play house until they both went to sleep. And every Saturday, Jake's father actually visited the cabin. And when that did happen, Jamie was forced to sit underneath the bed and he played extremely loud music in the room while he hung out with his dad so that Jamie's screams could be drowned out if she were to scream. Weeks went by and there were no leads and on October 27th, that is when the funeral for Jamie's parents took place. Hundreds of people went but unfortunately, Jamie couldn't even say goodbye to her parents. The day after the funeral, however, that is when police actually get their first lead. Police set up motion sensors in Jamie's house thinking that maybe the killer would return to the scene of the crime. And on October 28th of 2018, one of the sensors went off that someone broke into the home. The police get this call and rush over immediately. When they get to the home, they saw a man all dressed in black, so the police yell at him to get down on the ground. And when the police took the mask off of this burglar, it was 32-year-old Kyle Jean Anus. It was not Jake Patterson. It was some random other guy. Police think at this point that they've got the guy and they would later find Jamie, but they would later find out that Kyle doesn't even know the Kloss family. He said that he saw the Kloss funeral the day before and he's also been reading about Jamie's story online and he decided to break into the home because no one was there and the reason why he was there was to steal Jamie's clothes. This 32-year-old man was found with two tank tops, a dress, and a pair of girls' underwear that all belonged to Jamie. And when they asked why he broke into the house, he responded that he broke in because he was, quote, curious about what size Jamie was. And although he claims not to know the family, he actually worked at the same turkey processing plant that both of the parents worked at, so who really knows, but he was later cleared of the kidnapping and instead just went to prison for burglary. Police found another dead end and two months later, in December of 2018, police still found nothing. Jamie at this point, since it's two months into her captivity, she's starting to accept her new reality and and give up on the hope of being found. Jake said that after two months, he felt bad about taking her away and hearing slash reading everyone online trying to find her made him feel even more guilty. 
Jake actually one night got drunk and told Jamie about how guilty and bad he felt and said that if she wanted to write a letter to her aunt to let her know that she was alive, she can do that. And so Jamie immediately wrote up this huge letter and said, you know, this is my chance. This is my chance to tell my aunt possibly where I'm at, but most of all, just tell her that I'm alive. But the next morning, Jake woke up, he had sobered up and he just said, oh, you know, never mind. I don't feel guilty anymore. I'm not sending that letter. And then on Christmas Day, December 25th of 2018, Jake is feeling very cocky. He's feeling like a criminal mastermind, like no one is going to catch him because he's too good. Tripping up the police and getting away with his crimes. He was definitely on the highest of horses thinking, you know, it's crazy how people even end up in jail. All you got to do is just be smart. If you're smart like me, then you don't end up in jail. You get away with your crimes. And since Jake had Jamie in the room when his dad was over and his dad never knew about what was going on, he decides to take it a step farther and invite his whole family over for Christmas dinner while Jamie is trapped underneath his bed with music blasting. While Jake is out there having a great time with his family, getting presents, singing Christmas songs. And in January of 2019, she had been held captive for three months. And at this point, she had lost all hope that people were going to come and find her and realize the only way she'll be able to leave is if she escapes. For a couple weeks prior, every time she was put under the bed and Jake left, she would try moving the boxes and gaining her strength more and more until one day she actually gained enough strength to move the boxes just enough for her to escape. But now it just lied on when because she was super scared that what if Jake quote unquote leaves but is actually home to see if Jamie will try anything? What if Jake leaves but then only leaves for five minutes and comes back and sees Jamie trying to escape? That was until one day Jake is about to leave the house and before he puts Jamie underneath his bed, he tells Jamie that he's going to be out for five or six hours because he's going to go out to the city and try job hunting. And in that moment, Jamie knew that this was her window. She would have five to six hours to escape and try to get as far away from there as possible. And as soon as she hears Jake get in his car and drive off, she uses all of her strength and moves the boxes out of the way just enough to make a small space for her to crawl out of and makes free from the bed. She immediately runs to the door, but since it's Wisconsin in January, there's a bunch of snow all over the ground and she doesn't have shoes. So she takes Jake's New Balance shoes by the door and went outside for the first time in nearly three months. But Jamie was still panicking because she looked around and all she saw was forest. As I said, this cabin was in the middle of the woods. She didn't know where she was, how close she was from home, or where the nearest road was. So she picked a direction and started running. And she ran and she ran until she found a woman named Jean Nutter walking her dog and Jamie screams for help. 
Jean looks at Jamie and she says that Jamie is wearing a scruffed up sweatshirt. She looks disheveled. She looks stressed, malnourished, and she's wearing shoes that were way too big for her. And that is when Jamie told the woman that her name was Jamie Kloss and she had been kidnapped. And immediately when the woman heard the name Jamie Kloss, she knew exactly who this girl was. At this time, Jamie had been everywhere. She had been on missing posters, the news, billboards. Everyone knew her and so did Jean. Jean rushes Jamie to the nearest home and it was the home of Peter and Kristen. They go inside this home to keep Jamie safe and while she's there, Jamie then tells the three adults that she had been kidnapped by a man named Jake Patterson from her home and he is the one who murdered her parents. Peter and Kristen actually get a little shiver when they hear the name Pattersons because they know the Pattersons. The Pattersons only lived a couple doors down from them and so they knew that they had a lot of guns and they were super scared of what Jake would do if he realized that Jamie was gone. So Kristen immediately gets on the phone and calls the police. The police get to the home, bundle her up, and try to get her as far away from the cabin as possible but on the way there, Jamie spots a car in the distance and as it is driving closer, Jamie says to the police that she believes that that was Jake's car. Now, the police decided to just drive straight forward and right past Jake, but while they were doing that, they called for two police officers to report to Jake's house immediately. They knew that if they were to follow Jake in that moment and make this huge dramatic U-turn on this two-way road, it was going to cause him to freak out a little bit to the point where he may even try to get away. Now, back at the cabin, Jake pulls into the driveway, goes into his room to release Jamie, and finds that she's gone. He is furious, so he storms out of the house and into his car, but just as he's about to pull away, two cop cars come up and park behind him. Jake slowly gets out of his car, pulls his hands over his head, and says, quote, I know what this is about and I did it. Jake was then arrested and taken into custody while Jamie returned to her hometown. Everyone in the community was shocked that Jamie was safe and alive. Usually in missing persons cases, the first 48 hours or 72 hours of a missing person investigation, it's assumed that the person is dead, but Jamie was gone for three months and turned up alive. Out of Jamie's own bravery and strength, she was able to return home to her aunt, who later signed papers to become Jamie's legal guardian. Jamie, upon return, was met with so much love and light from the community. She reunited with her dog, Molly. Her town made her a sign to welcome her home, and she actually received an award called the Hometown Hero Award from the state of Wisconsin for her bravery. Now, back at the station with Jake. Jake did not hide a single thing from the police. He was very open, very descriptive, very cooperative, and told the story in detail from the very beginning. And he actually said that the reason he gave his confession was because he didn't want Jamie to have to go through the trauma of a trial, which I think is pretty odd that he would care about Jamie's trauma as if he didn't give her enough already. While Jake is awaiting trial, Jake actually wrote a letter to a news outlet saying that he was sorry for what he did and it was stupid of what he did. But you can tell throughout the letter that there is no ounce of remorse. He actually starts the letter by saying, quote, Hi, 
IDK if I'll actually send this or not. After that, he talks about captivity and says, quote, this was mostly on impulse. I don't think like a serial killer. Self-destruction, lol. This news outlet actually did an interview with Jake. One of the questions was, quote, what is your plan now? Plead guilty or take the case all the way to trial? And he responded with, quote, plead guilty. I want Jamie and her relatives to know that. Don't want them to worry about a trial. There was also another question that asked, quote, do you have any remorse or regrets for the things that you did? And he replied with, quote, huge amounts. I cannot believe I did this. The interviewer also asked, quote, what was your long-term plan if Jamie had not escaped that day? And all he said was, quote, won't say. It was really stupid, though, looking back. And when the interviewer finally asked, quote, did your family really have no clue? How often were your family members in your cabin? And how close did they come to discovering Jamie under the bed? And he responded with, quote, no one knew. My dad only came on Saturdays the same time every day. It was a routine. Jamie hides on Saturdays. My family respects privacy, so no one ever went in my room. And then at the end of this letter that Jake had wrote, he ended it off with saying, quote, in bubble letters, might I add, he said, quote, I'm sorry, Jamie. I know it doesn't mean. Jamie's hometown actually was visited by Elizabeth Smart. And for those who don't know, Elizabeth Smart is a kidnapping victim and had a very, very similar story to Jamie's. She was taken in 2002 from her home at the age of 14 and was held captive for nine months and met Jamie to give her advice on how to heal and move on from this very traumatic kidnapping because no one would really understand Jamie like Elizabeth would. Elizabeth told Jamie to basically return back to normal, take down the banners and the signs, take down the welcome home. Everyone in the community must talk to her normally and not always give her sympathy or give her pity every time they see her. And also, if you didn't know Jamie before the kidnapping, don't go up to her or talk to her because technically she still is a stranger to you. And then in March of 2019, that's when Jake was sentenced to two life sentences for the murders, 40 years for the kidnapping, and a life sentence without possibility of parole. Jake to this day is still in prison. He's a registered sex offender. And in prison, everyone in prison has murdered. Everyone in prison has robbed someone. Someone. Everyone in prison has done something with drugs, but being a pedophile and doing very disgusting things to children is something that no one in prison tolerates. And so when people found out what Jake had done to Jamie, they gave him hell. There was actually security footage found of Jake fighting a fellow prison inmate who had confronted him about Jamie. And Jake in prison actually made a friend. And this friend is a very popular friend you may or may not know, but he goes by the name of Chris Watts. If you guys don't know or if you've never seen the Netflix documentary American Murder, The Family Next Door, I highly recommend it. But Chris Watts murdered his pregnant wife by strangulation murdered his two younger daughters 
aged four and three by smothering them and then dumped his wife's body in a shallow grave and then dumped his two kids' bodies in crude oil tanks. Chris and Jake were neighbors and became friends in prison and Chris has even stood up for Jake on occasion. As for Jamie today, she is still doing well. She's speaking out with her story and she's just trying to get her old life back together. Back in 2020, her aunt had actually made an update saying that after two years, Jamie had got back into dancing and on her dance teams. Jamie, as of today in 2023, is 18 years old and is still believed to live with her aunt and has gone more into the things that she loves, like dancing, going to school, and making the best of her life. I honestly hope that Jamie is well and that she finds peace or on her way to find peace and it's really beautiful to see her getting out there and living her life again. Jamie actually did write a statement and in it she said, quote, Jake Patterson took a lot of things I loved away from me. He took my mom and my dad. I loved my mom and dad very much. He took them away from me forever. I felt safe in my home and I loved my room and all of my belongings. He took that too. My parents and my home were the most important things in my life. He took them away from me in a way that will always leave me with a horrifying memory. But there are some things Jake Patterson can never take from me. He can't take my freedom. I was smarter and I took back my freedom. He thought he could control me, but he couldn't. I was brave and he was not. He thought he could make me like him, but he was wrong. He can never change me or take away who I am. I will go on to do great things in my life and he will not. He stole my parents from me and almost everything I love from me. For 88 days, he tried to steal me and he didn't care who he hurt or who he killed to do that. He should stay locked up forever. And yeah, that is the end of today's episode. If you guys enjoyed today's case, make sure to give it a thumbs up and subscribe if you are watching on YouTube or if you are on Spotify, Apple, wherever you can find podcasts, make sure to rate it five stars because that helps me out a lot. If you want to follow me on any of my socials, like my Instagram, that will be linked down below, as well as my PO box if you want to send me anything. But yeah, I hope you guys found today's case interesting, and I will see you guys next week. Bye.